Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Coffee with a Recruiter podcast. I'm your host, Jose Marchena. And we got a very special and very anonymous guest with us this week. Chloe is a lead recruiter at a big tech company. Her company is one of the most dominant players in the IT industry. How do you set hiring strategies in big tech companies? What's the best way of managing a team of 10 recruiters? How do you analyze recruitment metrics in order to improve processes? We'll discuss this and much more on the Coffee with a Recruiter podcast. Okay, recording now. Hi, Chloe. Hi, Jose. How are you? Yeah, good, good, great. Really happy to um, be speaking with you today. How are you doing? Very good, very good. I guess still um, kind of, is it still lockdown or or are the rules um, changed that we can start going out again? Or I don't know, it's been tricky following government guidelines when it comes to what you're allowed to do and what you're allowed to, to not do. Um, mm-hmm. On a side note, I came back from, from France about two weeks ago. Um, so I've had to spend my time in quarantine. And so if the lockdown wasn't enough, now I had to just be alone this whole time, but uh, well, with my girlfriend, so that's fine. But now we finally are able to go out. So that's perfectly perfectly fine. Well, just wanted to thank you again for taking the time for this call. I know you're, um, you're quite busy, so I really appreciate it. And it's quite exciting to be speaking with you because, uh, well, um, you know, you come from a big tech company, uh, from one of the most popular ones in the world. And I really wanted to unpack your experience, your your skills, strategy, what it's like working in, in companies as big as these ones. So thank you for that. No worries. Um, perfect. Well, I guess just to, just to start, and I know it's all anonymous and everything, but can you give us maybe just a quick intro of yourself and, and experience? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll start with what I'm currently doing and then I'll kind of backtrack a bit to what I did just just before that. But sure. uh, as you said, I'm working in recruiting for uh, one of the big tech companies and I've been in this company for, for several years now. Um, and my focus um, is really on hiring uh, technical people at a pretty large volume. Um, and that usually kind of refers to, I'd say about 100 to 150 hires per year. Um, and I kind of, in my role as a um, lead recruiter, um, I lead a team of about eight to 10 people from uh, recruiting coordinators to sourcers uh, and, and, re- and recruiters. Um, and uh, the roles that I focus on, they're relatively, uh, like I said, high volume. They're also repeat roles. So that means that it's a lot of the same roles um, at a pretty high volume. So a big part of my role is also to kind of always think about how can we scale um, our hiring processes? And that's kind of a, a central part of my role. And so um, I would say that, um, you know, in my current role, like I said, um, I focus on kind of two aspects. Um, one is fo- the leading the hiring strategy for my team. Um, it's working backwards from headcount goals um, and kind of cascading that down to uh, KPIs or sourcing plans. Um, I own kind of all of the client relationships um, in the company from hiring managers to vice presidents. Um, and my role is also, uh, you know, on the other end, a bit uh, tactical in the sense that I also uh, own all of the candidate closing uh, from the team of sourcers that I work with. So that's usually, I'd say about 10 to 12 closes at 
any point um, in time. Um, and in my current team, in my current role, uh, it's been very interesting um, and super varied in the sense that when I started, we were a really small, scrappy team, very little processes, which is really surprising uh, coming from such a big tech company. Um, and I was able to kind of impact that in the sense of kind of driving more streamlined processes, more documentation. Um, and, you know, a few years later, um, I'm now part of a team of 20 plus people working on, on all sorts of role. Um, so it's been, you know, it's been filled with uh, years where it's been incredible growth. Our team quadrupled in 12 months, for example, uh, to years where it's been quieter and calmer and more focused on operational excellence. Um, so yeah, that's a kind of a quick overview of, of my background, but I'm happy to go into anything that's uh, more specific if, if you'd like to. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, quite a lot to to unpack there. It's interesting that you mentioned that when you initially started there, there were um, fewer processes, so there was a lot for you to do and to put in place. I mean, at least as an outsider, the idea you get of these companies is that, oh, they already have everything figured out. There's already a good infrastructure in place to start hiring. Everything's smooth. So, you know, it's it's almost, um, it's yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. Well, I guess it's also related to the strong growth. So as you grow as a company, the changes start happening, the new challenges start pro, uh, happening also. Mm -hmm. So then you need to start also changing things in order to improve, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I was I was just as surprised as you uh, <laughs> you are when I started. I couldn't believe that uh, we were still working with three to four different systems in terms of recruiting. Um, nothing was like coordinated into you know one one big product in terms of managing uh, applicants. And uh, like I said, everyone in the team kind of did their own thing, um, and it was very it, it wasn't streamlined at all. So. Um, so yeah, it was really surprising and it did take a lot of time to get familiar with um, just even systems because you're working across four different systems that do different things. But um, but then the great aspect or the really positive aspect to that is that uh, when I came in, um, I was able to kind of bring that external perspective and say like, you know, there are things we need to streamline um, and kind of own that process, which um, I really didn't think I would be able to do in a big company. I thought, you know, um, everything would be defined and, you know, we'd have a very clear path as to, you know, what we need to focus on, what are the processes for the year. Uh, and, and really not much um, existed. So, um, so yeah, in, in that regard, it's been uh, really interesting. Um, on the other note, you know, I think there's um, also a risk of, you know, there's a lot of ambiguity um, in that context as well. Um, and so you have to be kind of familiar uh, with or, or comfortable with that aspect of navigating into something that's ambiguous. Uh, you might try stuff that will ultimately fail um, and you'll probably have to kind of rebuild uh, and, and try something else. So um, that's, I'd say the uncomfortable part of it is that, you know, there's, um, you know, a lot of room to make an impact, but then there's a lot of room to make mistakes as well, which is, 
I think is in in most of these, I'd say, tech companies, it's something that's encouraged. Um, and then there are some really, you know, good processes to learn from your mistakes or, or any sort of failures. Um, and then, you know, that allows you to then, you know, the next time around uh, work on something that's probably more, more solid or more scalable. Um, so, yeah, I think there's, you know, there's always two aspects of, of, of that kind of challenge. Uh, one being super positive with the impact, the other um, is, you know, a, a relatively high risk of, of failing. And just before going into the more practical aspects of, of what you do, just curious to know sort of what's the biggest, I suppose, challenge of working in, in big tech, but also at the same time, the, the most fun part of it or the best part. I suppose the challenge is more the volume, but also the ambiguity you mentioned and initially the lack of processes. Would that be the biggest challenge? Yeah, I'd say the biggest challenge um, is kind of tied to that growth um, in the sense where, um, you know, it's fairly ambiguous um, in terms of, you know, long-term plans in terms of hiring, because this industry changes so often that you need to be able to pivot really quickly. So there's a lot of ambiguity in terms of, um, you know, the kind of volume that you need to hire for uh, the types of profile that might change, you know, in a few months. Um, so there's, uh, you know, the pace of change is really high um, and that creates quite a lot of ambiguity throughout the year. Uh, even if, you know, at the beginning of the year, you had a, a fairly clear picture of what you might need to hire, it might change, you know, six months down the line. Um, but the really rewarding aspect of it is with that growth also, um, is the opportunity for um, the recruiting team and the recruiters to be part of that growth plan and to be part of that business plan of uh, of, of of growing in terms of staff, but also growing in terms of its business or its development. Um, and so, I think that's what kind of attracted me to move from HR to recruiting is, you know, being able to be tied to, um, you know, the business plans in terms of, of growth. I'd say to your point around volume, there's a really tricky tension as well between uh, volume and, you know, the the candidate experience or the level at, at which you can personalize the experience for um, a candidate that's interviewing with you and starting with your company. Um, and it's a tension that, you know, I, I, I struggle with and uh, I'd say probably the rest of my team struggles with as well is you, you have to think about volume and being able to scale yourself as a recruiter and scale your team. But at the same time, you have to be able to also provide uh, something unique and personalized to your candidates, and that's um, that's a tension that we we struggle with for sure. Yeah, that's such a good point, and especially during these times where there's a lot of applicants to to any role that you might be working on, but also with a brand such as yours, where it's a very popular company that everyone knows, so naturally it draws a lot of attention. And as a recruiter, well, how do you manage all of that volume? You know, you 
um, well, this is just more me speaking from my personal experience, but if you get 200 applicants, 300 applicants, and you got to book in a lot of calls, uh, but at the same time, you need to keep that candidate experience going and at least message everyone, give them a rejection message, or at the very least, some feedback after after an interview. Obviously, you've got to know how to time manage a lot, a lot better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you might have to make some trade-offs as well, you know, in terms of when when do you actually engage with the people that have applied to your role? Do you engage with them like upfront or do you actually wait for them to complete an assessment before <laughs> yeah. you engage with them, right? And that's, you know, that's a, it sounds like a very simple trade-off, but um, it could really make a huge difference in terms of um, the person that, um, you know, might ultimately decide to, you know, not not do that assessment because they haven't spoken to anyone in the team. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of these trade-offs. And then time management um, is, is a big one, you know, on an individual basis, of course, yeah. Now, I wanted to, to talk about um, hiring strategy because, so if I understand correctly, you're managing... Um, you know, eight eight to ten people. There's a high volume of roles. There's maybe a, a hundred, hundred and fifty, I believe you mentioned. Um, and I understand you're responsible for for creating and leading that strategy, correct? Yeah, yeah. I suppose. How do you, let's say, starting from 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 scratch? How do you ideate that process? Um, you know, create it and then start implementing it. And I know we can write a whole book on this, right? But I suppose, can you give us the highlights, the the maybe top top three, five steps, and then where we can take it from there? Yeah, so I think um, this is probably quite specific to the company I, I work in, but uh, it's probably true in, in, in other places. But I mean, you know, the very beginning really is 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 going to start with the business needs. Um, and I think that process can take a long time to understand like how many people do we need, by when, what are the profiles, the skill set, the seniority, uh, and also like, you know, within that business, which, which teams are a priority. Um, and I'd say that that process can take, uh, at least in my experience, it can take, uh, two to three to four months. Um, and that usually ends up in, um, in my experience, uh, a very high level figure in terms of um, what our population needs to look like in a year from now. Um, and usually the level of detail um, is almost non-existent. Um, it's usually going to be, you know, this is what our headcount is going to be next year. Um, people, we want people to start before December um, and, you know, let's say we want to grow by a hundred people in a year. Um, so that's the level of detail that I usually have to have to work with. Then um, it's kind of working backwards from that to uh, factor in other things like, you know, attrition, transfers, promotions to be able to say like, actually, how many hires do we need to make? It's not just around incremental growth, like how much are we going to grow? It's also, uh, you know, where are people going to to move? Are they moving out of the company? Are they moving uh 
uh, within the company or they're actually moving across different levels or roles as well. Um, and so in my world, that's very data-driven. So um, I'm able to kind of leverage data um, in modeling like how this population might look like in a year and then work backwards from there in terms of um, the actual uh, hires that I need to make. And I typically will rely on on conversion ratios to say, well, uh, if we need to hire, you know, a hundred of these profiles in a year, um, I know that it takes three months for someone to start. So I actually have to hire them by September. And then I'll work backwards in terms of conversion ratios from, you know, the on-site or phone screen, uh, sorry, assessment or phone screen to on-site, on-site to offer, offer to accept. And then I can get to a level of detail where um, in terms of volume, um, there's a, an indication of, you know, monthly targets, you know, how many people uh, does my team need to reach out uh, every month until September uh, and, you know, continue then to uh, use this information to inform our own staffing plans and recruiting, you know, are we staffed adequately to hire all these people or to do all these on-sites? Um, also feeds into capacity planning in terms of do we have enough interviewers? Um, and then, you know, we'll get a little more granular in terms of the, the sourcing strategy. Um, and that's where my sourcers have most of the um you know, the the voice at the table in the sense of, you know, they know um, their stuff, their sourcers, um, and they come up with the sourcing strategy, whether it's um, the countries we want to target, do we want to do, uh, should we kind of supplement our own activity with international recruiting events where we go abroad and hire abroad. Um, so that then kind of trickles down to the team to decide uh, in a more granular basis, like what, what will be the strategy, the plan, and then within our team, what is going to be um, the focus of, of everyone. Um, throughout that process, there are like check-in points with, with the, the vice presidents and the leadership of um, the company um, to kind of, you know, present the strategy present like our modeling um, and, you know, get their kind of approval or their, their um, buy-in on, on that. Um, and so um, that continues throughout the year. Um, once we kind of, you know, decided on a model or kind of monthly hiring targets, then um, every month we check in with that leadership to, to, to kind of uh, present like how we're progressing to those goals. If there are months that, you know, we're not doing the adequate volume, we have to kind of come up with um, a path to how are we correcting that, you know, maybe we're bringing in an agency or maybe we're actually hiring an additional sourcer and an additional recruiter Um so, um, so yeah, there's there's a, a really important part of my role is is uh, keeping track of of progress to go and keeping a pulse on everything uh, from those individual targets to scheduling blockers or candidate feedback or client demands. Um, so, um, you know, there's uh, there are a number of things that that. Uh, I've I've built um, that are you know hiring ramps or uh, trackers that that allow me to kind of keep a pulse on um, are we providing the right type of quality and quantity um, and then how does that do uh, against our our goal. Um, 
so yeah, I'd say that's like at a very, very high level how I operate and that's usually cyclical. It's usually an annual process. Um, but like I told you earlier in the call, um, there are always surprises, you know, mid, 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 um, uh, as you come like, you know, mid-year, um, you might suddenly have uh, a complete change in terms of those headcount targets. Maybe, um, you know, they're adding 50 more people to that number and and then you have to kind of, you know, scramble and, and come up with a, a different plan. But um, yeah, that's that's a, an overview of how it might, um, how it, it usually looks like for, for me and my team. Yeah, I was going to ask about what's sort of unexpected changes in strategy and moments that you've experienced, but I think COVID has been probably the biggest game changer in in recruitment and strategy. So it's been just an interesting time and and seeing how Mm -hmm. your company has progressed and improved from there. Now, on that point, maybe um, coming back to, to leading teams, because I understand you you engage with your teams quite a bit, especially when it comes to the sourcing strategy, as you mentioned. And one of the things that I um, that I understand is a lot of times if you're leading teams, it's good to discuss with them what the target should be in order for them to also participate in it. I guess mm-hmm. what's your philosophy behind leading your recruitment teams and your maybe approach and, and advice you would give to other you know, aspiring lead, lead recruiters or recruiters that are maybe having some trouble right now? Mhm. Yeah, I um I would say that um and this is something I strive to. It doesn't mean that's how I always operate. Um but I I really strive to um always provide that level of transparency to um the people in the team that I I work with um so that you know all of the context as to like how did we come up with these headcount goals? Um, you know, what's the process to to define? You know, not just uh, the incremental hires we need to make, but all of the the backfill um, uh, as well. That that all is is shared with the team uh, before we even go into any sort of of decisions. Um, and and also, um, I think one thing that I've probably still need to work on really is is providing you know updates even when we're when I'm getting you know some some signals from my business that things might change um, to immediately like let the team know that you know there are some discussions here that um, some of our targets might change or maybe the direction of the business is uh, is is going to change in a pretty drastic way um, so it's that high level of, of yeah of transparency um, with the rest of your team and like constant communication um, even about like small things I think it goes a long way uh, when you know in a team, you're able to uh, understand what's happening behind the scenes. What and and especially because most of these discussions will will impact the team as well. And I don't think there's an adverse effect of of communicating too much um, because the you know the effect of of not communicating enough uh, means that you know the team might feel like um, you know I'm hiding. You know, I'm hiding some discussions from them. They're not able to uh, really understand, you know, the decisions that affect their work. So, um, yeah, I think for me, that's a big one is is uh, transparency and, and communication um, with the team. And then that kind of um, 
two-door feedback um, uh, approach where, um, you know, when things are don't look good or maybe, you know, there's maybe there's an issue that um, isn't yet causing some really, you know, adverse effects on um, on um, your work. Um, but you can kind of we you can kind of see that it might become an issue. Um, I think that proactivity and in, in raising issues or raising challenges is is one that um, is really important is, is, you know, asking a lot of questions, um, seeing around the corner um, and, you know, raising, um, raising these issues or these signals uh, before they become something a lot bigger and then discuss as a team. Because I think when uh, you're in the stress of handling a, a fire or a really big um, issue, then, you know, being able to bring everyone together to discuss a solution um, or, you know, a common approach to this is is something that probably gets deprioritized uh, rather than just wanting to um, to to handle that that fire. Um, so, yeah, I think those those two things um you know, transparency and then the, um, the kind of, how can I call it? I don't know if it's proactivity suppose, or... Yeah, the frequent updates, I suppose, is, mm-hmm. um, and the feedback part, I believe you, you mentioned. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's so interesting you mentioned transparency and, and, and updates because especially right now with remote working, there's a lack of that face-to-face sort of engagement. I'm not sure if you guys are are back at the office yet, right? But, um, you know, it's impacted companies and and especially mm-hmm. when it comes to culture and belonging and and just people engaging with other people, right? I mean, I think I mm-hmm. saw this, uh, this one article where they were saying that, oh, do you feel like your social skills have taken, taken a dive? Well, you can blame the pandemic because we haven't been around people too much in the last mm-hmm. few months. So we become a bit more socially inept. So maybe mm-hmm. that also takes or has some sort of influence. So yeah. I suppose in these times, um, what are what are tips to to things that you can do? Is it more you know just make sure you you have those frequent email exchanges? Is it more the tools like Slack? Is it more mm-hmm. you know just have occasional daily sort of Zoom updates, something mm-hmm. along those lines? Yeah, I I can totally relate to to what you shared around feeling socially inept. Um, I went back to the office for the first time um, a couple of days ago, um, and uh, and it was my yeah my first time in a while, and and I felt very awkward around people, um, you know, and 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 there's that feeling of you know. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what to do right, right now. So yeah, I can I can totally relate to that. And it's been interesting to see our journey through this as a team. Um, where at the beginning, I we um, kind of overcompensated for that. Where um, we organized a lot of virtual coffees, a lot of virtual happy hours, a lot of um, you know, lunch, I think we're doing virtual lunches as well. And it was, it was a bit of overkill. Um, Mm. and everyone got, you know, this, um, this, uh, Slack fatigue or this video conference fatigue, because, um, ultimately, um, these are still meetings, they're still work meetings. Mm. Um, and they're not quite the same thing as, you know, just going for a coffee together and, um, you know, going out of the building and, and getting a coffee. So they're, they're, they're certainly not, um, in, at least in my opinion, like 
uh, an adequate replacement for um, those actual coffees or lunches that you have as a as a team. So, um, so that's I think we did. We probably were in that mode of of kind of overcompensating for a few weeks, and then went the to the other extreme where. Um, we then removed kind of all of the meetings we could. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people started uh, just not turning on their webcam as well. Um, and and I think all of that is, you know, normal human behavior. Um, you know, when you feel like you've been overstimulated, you kind of want to then retract and kind of protect yourself. Um, but um, since then, uh, we've, I think we've managed to find a balance now where um, we have um, weekly stand-ups where um, we do always start by, there on a Monday, they, we usually always start by um, talking about our weekends and allowing that personal discussion because I think sometimes it could be very easy to um, just not ask how people are doing, you know, especially on chat. Mm. Um, I think those are probably the worst types of communication where um, you're like, hello, this is what I need. Can you give it to me? Um, so we've actually been able to integrate a bit more of that personal chit chat in in our in our stand up meetings um, and uh, and allow space for that and not think that you know because this is a meeting uh, is a meeting in your calendar it shouldn't be uh, used for you know uh, connecting as a as a team as well um, so um, so yeah it's it's what's worked for us is allowing for that personal connection to happen at the beginning of um, the calls we have as a team um, we have weekly stand-ups and then we have uh, bigger team meetings every month as well and then um, I have one-to-ones with with um, the people in my team um, where um, you know I also kind of keep space for for that personal connection at, at the beginning and uh, I'm still you know I still have to remind myself to to do that and to avoid you know those slack um those Slack uh, messages where you kind of bypass the 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 connection there to go straight into what you need. So uh, it's a lot of yeah. I think being being more comfortable with the the fluidity that there is between you know connecting personally and then still being in a meeting. Uh, ultimately, uh, you can't really separate both of those. Um, and so just allowing that space and saying you know we're happy to spend five to 10 minutes at the beginning of these calls to, to just cover, you know, what did you do on your weekend and stuff like that, I think is, is really important, but um, it's still new to, 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 to us and to most people in this situation of, of being remote. And, um, you know, we're, we're continuing to try new things where, um, you know, we, we want to build more rapport and trying to do virtual offsites is one thing we've, we've done, um, a few months back where we're an entire day on video conference, the entire team, and obviously with breakout sessions and all of that. Uh, but then it does feel like you're spending a whole day with someone and naturally those um, more personal touch points will, will happen within that space as well. Yeah, it's so interesting you mentioned that because I have experienced also that Zoom fatigue, that Every day there's there's this this video conference thing or oh there's this little lunch um, uh, get together online or a, a separate Slack group created every every week or every other week 
Um, I guess even for me, I mean, I'm quite, I'm, I'm more on the introverted side of the scale, but even for me, I'm like, well, I'd rather just meet people in person really and, and engage with them then because the, almost the whole Slack and, and, and Zoom conferencing type system, it's like, it's very, um, I don't know, very impersonal almost, but it kind of always sort of promotes the, the loudest voices, I kind of feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're mm-hmm. someone that's a bit more quiet, then it's easy for you to disengage um, or to, to, to just people speak over you. So I always felt that a bit of a tricky, almost like a bit of a tricky sort of tool that um, it benefits some people, but it doesn't benefit the whole team, depending on your personality. Mm-hmm. Um, what about what about individual contributors? I mean, um, is your approach more where you just manage the whole team and communicate things as a whole? Or do you on occasion also engage with the individual sort of recruiters? Um, or what's your approach there? And do you do any coaching? You know, if you if there's recruiters that are struggling, what's your approach there? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it's 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 really on those two fronts. Like there, um, there. What I try to look at is like all of the forums that I have. I have uh, a weekly uh, half an hour stand up forum with the team that um, is used for um, you know any any smaller announcements or anything that you know um, is um, like I told you before. You know, behind the scenes discussions. Not necessarily mean we need to take a decision right now, but you know this is a heads up this is this is happening and that's appropriate to for the entire team to to know and then the other forums that that I have are are one to one uh one to ones with with individual contributors there are also the team meetings every month where those are more used for for discussions and decisions as a team on specific uh maybe ongoing challenges that we need to address that are not necessarily urgent um and then the one to ones are are those where really I I dive into more of um you know what you mentioned around coaching um and and specifically um you know issues that um individual contributors might have whether um, it's challenges around communicating with um, the rest of the team you mentioned you know uh, these meetings over video conference they're not always inclusive because it's very easy to just turn off your webcam (laughs) and go on mute Um, and so uh, those you know in those one-to-ones I've had to kind of also cover that with um, someone in my team who uh, very much doesn't feel like uh, they can voice their opinion in that in that forum um, and kind of working with them on on how they can find this their voice uh, within that team and how I can help them as well whether um, I'm the mediator in that in that team meeting or um, you know I kind of open up the discussion to to that person um, uh, because I I know that you know they have a, an opinion on on that topic or on that issue um, to to other aspects that I've also had to coach with um, just pure delivery you know um, I mentioned before the 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 team at some, at one point had to uh, grow very rapidly um, and so you know people have a different way of, of ramping up and then being able to deliver um, hires um, and so you know that there, there were times also where I had to uh, work on on just the delivery aspect or Time management, you know, working with recruiting coordinators uh, that own a lot of the scheduling. Time management is just so important for for them, um, and so um, so yeah, there there are uh, you know a lot of different examples on 
on what um, I was able to work on on a one-to-one basis with um, with individual contributors. Um, and they vary widely. Uh, like I mentioned, it can be time management. It could be conflict resolution with someone else. It, it could be, um, yeah, it, it could be anything. Um, one big part of of my role uh, as a as a coach or or a mentor, and one that I kind of still struggle with is um, being less directive. I think um, I've been in the team for. Uh, a while and I would usually have an opinion on on almost everything um, and so uh, when I'm working with someone I, I really have to kind of force myself to um, you know ask the right questions uh, and and get them to think about what is the right approach they want to take rather than just provide suggestions um, and so um, that's something you know I, I still know I have to work on and it's very critical I think in in someone's role when you are coaching someone is that you're not just providing answers but you're facilitating that process um, for this person to find answers um, on their own um, as well and then also, you know, knowing uh, how people operate, you know, their different uh, preferences in terms of interactions. Um, some of them are, are very proactive and forthcoming. They will kind of tell you when something's not going on uh, as it should or it's a blocker when it happens. Um, and others um, will wait for you to, um, you know, ask questions, ask for updates before they kind of flag uh, the challenges they have. They might, you know, they might not be conscious about that actual challenge or the actual blocker, or they might feel like, you know, they, they can't, uh, they can't share that with, you know, their, their leads. Um, so it's, it's super interesting because, uh, you know, it taps a lot into, uh, you know, the, the psychology aspect of, of working with, with others in a team. And, and I really, um, enjoy it, uh, as part of my role. Well, one of the things that, that I read was that, you know, it's um, a lot of times when it comes to leaders, the idea that we have um, is that, um, you know, and let's say, let's put it this way, that the idea that we have as a society is that they need to be very charismatic and almost very extroverted, very in your face and very assertive. But the most, the best leaders, the ones that in practice are more competent are actually the ones that can, that have that cap, that capability of communication, listening, and that empathy and that humbleness almost. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really interesting to know that, you know what, um, a lot of times in bigger companies, you kind of feel, oh, it's all about that assertiveness and being in your face. But at the very least, it's good to know that, you know what, there's actually good leaders out there that try to be empathetic, that try to communicate with individual contributors um, and to listen to them. And, and that's good because for me as a, even, you know, I'm an individual contributor also, and uh, um, it's good. It's really cool. It's really awesome when someone that you think, oh, they're like a director or like a, a, you know, a, a very, someone that's very high level in the company actually takes their time to say hi and to listen to um, any particular struggles. And that, uh, I think that really helps, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now, when it comes to one thing that I wanted to maybe discuss before finishing is is the hiring managers, because, you know, we discussed um, a few different things. We discussed your teams, how you manage them, but also we discussed a little bit data, a little bit how you use your metrics. But 
one of the key things with with every recruitment lead is the hiring managers and that's kind of where it begins also because the sort of the first thing when you communicate it to me is like okay it comes first from the business needs and then from the skills that are needed within those business needs and what hiring managers communicate versus how you can manage expectations and deliver on those on those mm-hmm. expectations. Um, I suppose just to start with that, is it more like engineering leads, global heads of engineering, anything along those lines? Like what are your hiring managers like? Uh, yeah, so they are um, they're, uh, engineering leads, engineering managers, engineering directors, and then vice presidents as well. So um, it kind of spans the whole, um, I'd say the whole, uh, level of, uh, of of managers and leadership in in the company I, I work with, um, and so I think what's the most interesting um, and and most challenging as well is that you have to you know I'm I'm not responsible of course for um, the smooth communication from you know the top to the bottom or the bottom to the top and in that space of you know the the managers and the directors and the vice president but um, I have to find a way to facilitate that um, in the best way I can because what can can often happen is that um, you know you especially through the mechanisms we have which every month um, we have a meeting with the with the VP and and the directors um, is that some decisions might be taken in that forum um, that uh, have a, a, a huge impact in terms of all of the other hiring managers that are not in that meeting. Um, and my role is to facilitate that communication from that level to uh, the rest of the organization. Um, and even when that decision is not something that, you know, I, uh, I, I necessarily took, you know, if we're talking about uh, the headcount changing or uh, hiring, having to slow down or pick up, um, those are not necessarily decisions that I'm driving and I'm, um, you know, entirely part of. It's it's mainly coming from the leadership. So, uh, but I have to find a way that uh, that you know, that communication is is cascaded throughout the entire organization. Um, and what I found really useful in doing so um, is defining like mechanisms, whether it's uh, email, hiring email updates that are just sent across the entire org, as well as um, staff meetings within those, uh, within, you know, those teams, those directors and their directs, and ultimately you have the hiring managers that are part of those meetings too, um, to discuss, you know, uh, these decisions in, in those firms rather than provide them over email and, and having them like be a, uh, a compliment to each other. Like, you know, there are some updates and some information that is easy to digest over email. And typically that is, you know, a lot around reporting, um, whether it's, you know, pipeline metrics, conversion ratios, uh, you know, time to fight, time to fill, um, all of that, you know, is, is, it's quite appropriate to report on, on a monthly basis or even, uh, every other week uh, over email to your entire org. Now, uh, trickier, more complex decisions um, that um, are going to raise a lot of questions. Um, those I would rather, you know, discuss in a in a staff meeting with a director and his hiring managers, for example. Um, so, yeah, it's it's uh, an interesting 
aspect of, of also having to drive that communication so that the entire organization is, is aware of where we stand in terms of hiring, where we're going, what we need from them as well. Um, and then, you know, managing expectations, I think a big part around uh, sharing data on a monthly basis and, and sharing a lot of it um, is also educating hiring managers as to, you know, this is the time that it takes um, to have someone fill your role. Um, and this is the minimum time it can take, and this is the actual the maximum. So it's not just like an average, but you know this is kind of the range of of options that that you could be uh, looking at. And then these are the tools for you to accelerate that. You know there are things very um, very impactful ways that you can impact how quickly your 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 role is filled, whether it's employee referrals or or how active you are on social media. Um, or, you know, tapping into your internal network. Um, so, yeah, so that the, those two aspects around, you know, communication channels and then the, the managing expectations are, I'd say, the two main uh, panels of, of my, my work at the moment. Absolutely. Well, I'm just wondering, where do you find the time to do all of this? Because <laughs> just from listening to you, I'm thinking, okay, leading... 10 individuals engaging with global heads of engineering, crunching through the data, looking at the conversion rates, meeting deadlines. I mean, it looks like you, you're quite, quite preoccupied with a lot of different things. I suppose mm. just, to, just to wrap up the last question, um, Chloe, but I suppose what do you like about what you do? What's, what's kept you going all these years? Um, I, I just really thrive, I think on, um, the, the kind of the challenge that there is, um, there is always a challenge. There's always an opportunity to, uh, make a change, try something new. Um, and in my role and, and in the company that I work, um, in, there's always that opportunity to, to do that within, uh, your own team or across, um, other teams, you know. So, um, what, uh, what I enjoy is, um, you know, finding, finding a problem or finding a challenge, um, uh, being able to disambiguate it if it's, you know, a complex solution and then be able to find a solution with, with others in my team as to how we can approach that challenge. And I find that in recruiting because uh because like hr it's not a hard science um you never really know uh you know what's the right approach or the right solution so there's always um an opportunity to to try something new uh and you can use data of course you know we have access to to metrics that can inform our decisions but ultimately um you're always going to try something it might sort of work but you'll always see you know what can be improved and then you're always iterating on on whether it's a, a new hiring process if you're um, changing um, you know how you run on sites or how um, you your sourcing strategy or what are the the profiles you tap into there's um, yeah there's just that that challenge is, is I think is always there um, and there's always um, an opportunity to to try something different and and kind of bring uh, a team um, together in in solving for that specific challenge so uh, and I'm just really curious I, I love the world of of tech uh, I really enjoy actually working with um, engineers and and uh, you know there's always 
a lot of room to to learn in that space because I don't have the the background. So um so yeah, it's the learning opportunity and then the opportunity to work on on challenging and complex um, issues. Awesome. I suppose an interest in learning and an interest in engaging in very tricky, intricate challenges would be the main takeaway. Chloe, mm-hmm. thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I know you have a hard stop now. So just wanted to say thank you so much for your time. And um, and yeah, keen to, keen to know where, where, where the big tech scene sort of takes you. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, Jose. It was a, a real treat. Chloe is an amazing recruiter, and it was great fun having such an honest and fruitful conversation with her. If you liked this episode, then please hit subscribe or follow. Thanks again, and stay safe.